What is up is a good question. <laughs> what is it really? It's really. Um, hey, everybody. Welcome to another week of Case Files with Kat. And Ashley. I have to tell you, I met somebody um, and Sarah, Sarah, Sarah was there. I met them at the chamber and I was like, hi, I'm Kat. She said, hi, I'm Ashley. And everybody was like, <laughs> Sarah what? told me about this because... So I was at a chamber, guys, you guys are just going to have to deal with this for a moment. So I was at the chamber (laughs) golf tournament and there was these two girls and they were whispering and she's like, that's her. Just, just say something to her. And then I was like, I don't know. And she's like, that's her. I'm telling you that's her. And so they walk up. Well, I walked over because I was like, what, what is happening right now? You know, she's like, you have that. She's like, you have that podcast, right? Like that true crime podcast. And I was like, maybe. (laughs) And she's like, yeah, we, we met at Saloon Door and the, and I feel so bad because I don't remember the other girl's name, but she was saying that she was thinking about starting a true crime, true crime podcast as well and wanted to pick our brains. Um, so I'll tell you the business name after we get off the podcast. But anyways, it was just funny because they were just sitting there talking about it back and forth. And I was just like, I knew they were talking about me, but anyways, it was a mini famous moment. Many famous. Well, uh, it was really funny because everybody was laughing. Sarah was like, hey, that's funny. Well, she she brought it up because I was with Catherine in a golf cart at the golf tournament. So she's like, it's Kat and Ashley. And then she went into the story about you and the other Ashley. Uh, now that we've lost uh, all of our listeners because they're like, we don't give a shit. <laughs> that was a whole minute of us fangirling about other people. About so ourselves, okay. really. I mean. And, and about ourselves. But you know what? If we met you in person and you were like, we're a fan of your show, we would fangirl about you on the the show, too. And we have, Devin. And we've (laughs) drank beer with our fans when we used to go out in public, you know, pre-COVID. Glenn, if you ever come to Texas or if we ever cross the pond, there's a lot of places I want to go. I can't Mm -hmm. wait to travel. I'm never going to that (laughs) island of, excuse me, white as he said, I still think it's wit, <laughs> but he says it's what. I'm definitely not going there, but um, I will drop you off to, to videotape. <laughs> if you guys don't get that joke, you need to go back and listen to the episode. I did, over the oh, Island of White. Isle of White. Oh, God. Okay, so, oh, my gosh. So, what are you drinking today? I am drinking a beer. Outsted? I don't know how to say it. It's a cloche, mm-hmm. and it's from um, Fredericksburg. So it is a Texas beer, but it's not local. Um, But it's made with only pure Texas hill country water and German hops, malts, and yeast. And um, it's actually really, really good. It's kind of a lighter beer. Um, It's definitely refreshing after the day I've had. Um, And it says, come visit our state-of-the-art brewery, taproom, and restaurant in Fredericksburg, Texas. I uh, I like this can art a lot, actually. Um, it's very German. And for those of you who aren't familiar with Fredericksburg, Texas, this is a German beer coming from a German town. Yes. This was, this was settled by a lot of Germans. Um, was it also Czech? It, was there like a, yeah, it says it says that it was um, says it's from the heart of the Texas Hill Country. It says mm-hmm. that it is handcrafted and it's inspired by German beer purity law, which was established in 1516. And they only use 100% natural imported ingredients and pure Texas spring water to deliver the supreme drinkability and smooth, crisp flavor you expect from German-style beers. And it is only brewed 
right here in Fredericksburg, Texas, and so it is very cool good. Sh- so ac- yeah. actually, um, having been to Germany and gotten to experience those pure German beer laws, <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah, like in Munich, I don't know if it's for all of all of Germany or if it was just in Bavaria, but oh my gosh, that beer is so good. I think um, I'm pretty so sure I want some of that. Yeah, I it's, want some of that. So I, I drink a lot of the Galveston Island one, which is called Causeway. Um, but I actually like this a lot. It's really good. Yeah. Awesome. What are you, well, what are you I drinking? actually, um, I haven't opened it yet, um, but it's from Buffalo Bayou. And so this is the first time I've seen this. It's called Citrus Season IPA. Oh, where is oh. it? Oh, where? Oh, <laughs> it's oh, so hard yeah. to find the, the camera. Oh, there very nice. Citrus very fancy. IPA, grapefruit and blood orange. Oh, okay. so we're going to talk a lot about plants today. Okay. Yeah. Ready? Flowers. Okay. Um, I'm a, so I'm a tarot card reader now. I didn't know if you know that, um, but I'm going to quit my day job and I, and I'm just outside of doing the show. I'm just going to read tarot cards. I, I was telling Sarah, Sarah, that I am just like super good at it. And uh, well, I, I, freaked, I tried, but nobody will let me g- give them readings. Listen, so. I just do readings on people. I don't give a shit if they agree to it or not. I just think about them and I do it. Like, I don't. <laughs> um, I, I did it on myself, right? A couple of times. And every time I asked a question and I shuffled the deck a bunch and I kept pulling the same card. And then I, so then I was like, no, this is just crazy. It's in my head, right? So then I asked my friend to ask me a question because if you're reading for someone that's not in the room, you're supposed to like repeat their question in your head as if it was your question. And I kept pulling like the card that I pulled for them. I kept pulling it, even though I reshuffled the card like a million times, like the deck. So I've just can determined. Share, can you share? Is it, is it the same card that you pulled, pulled for you that you pulled no, for no, them? No, no, no. It was a different oh, card okay. for them. But every time I did their question and pulled the card or a similar question, about the scenario it was the same card for them i was like i guess i'm just a super expert um theirs was night of air and mine was eight i don't remember it was eight of fire it was okay so i have animals and it was a seagull in a cage (laughs) as i remember the card um i can tell you when i look it up later but it was the seagull it was with the cage (laughs) it was the eight of something okay people like i was just so super excited to be like like an expert tarot card reader day one. So I don't I don't know what everyone else is doing, but that's what I'm going to do with my life now. So if you have questions oh that God, you would like amazing. me to read on the tarots, send me a message and I will read. I, I will. I oh, will. my gosh. Maybe we need to bring Janelle back and you guys you can be doing. Tarot. Just disclaimer. If you act upon what I say, it's not my fault. I'm just I'm just doing what the cards say. <laughs> All right, all right. So I'm gonna go. To, we have such a long show, yes. so I'm gonna get to it. Um, okay, uh, what is your favorite drink? It could be alcoholic or non-alcoholic. So my favorite drink is uh, well, I have two alcoholic drinks that are my favorite. One is an Audios motherfucker, and mm-hmm. one is an old fashioned. But I'm very picky about my old fashions. Um, I love the old fashions from prohibition because they um they put them so the old fashions from prohibition they put them in a smoking box it's a smoker and they smoke the old fashioned with like cherry wood or you can choose mesquite wood but i always do the cherry anyway so they put it in the box for like 20 minutes 
smoke fills up and then you drink it and it definitely has a different taste. So, so you have to wait 20 minutes for the drink. There, there about. So like, it just depends, like 10, 15 minutes, but okay. it's so worth it. Like you're drinking one, you go ahead and order your next one. You know what I'm saying? Like you keep mm-hmm. the ball rolling. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, mm-hmm. so uh, old fashions, number one. That's my all time favorite one. Um, anyways. And then as far as beer goes, there's too many. There's just too many. So yeah, I would I would just say like IPAs in general. Oh, yeah. um, so my favorite in general are Hefeweizen. Just in general, like if I was gonna say. Um, but I really love to try new fizzy drinks. So at Preamble mm-hmm. here, that's nearby. They are also like a craft cocktail mm-hmm. kind of place, and so I've had some of their older style like. I don't think it's called a gin fizz, but I think it's a gin fizz. It has like has so gin old. and it has it has champagne. Like oh. how do you put those two things together? There's yeah. lemon, some seventy French seventy five. They make one of good them. drinks there. They have my wow. second best old fashioned. Locally. Yeah, so Jason loves their old fashioned, and old fashioned for a lot of people means something totally different. But this is a drink. This is a drink. Okay, so um, I'm looking forward to reading everybody's answers here in the very near future. Okay, so like I said, we are going to talk a lot about uh, flowers today. Okay. Um, So I'm going to start off with our our trivia. It's not really trivia. It's more like some really cool facts. So I got real, I was just kind of looking up. So I'm going to talk about, uh, and this comes from listverse.com from 2014, but it's 10 beautiful flowers that kill in horrifying ways. And oh, M goodness. I just, I was like, wow. I was like screaming it out loud to Jason so he could hear me the other. You shouldn't tell your spouse in case you bring some in the house. What are you doing, cat? (laughs) Uh, These are very common. By the way. Okay, so the first one is the Calmia latifolia, more commonly known as the mountain laurel. Um, It's basically, it's a state flower of Pennsylvania and Connecticut, and it grows just about everywhere uh, in the East Coast of the U.S. Um, So there's two main toxins, but the one that you need to know about is the andromedox toxin. Sure. (laughs) I could say that earlier. Um, it's the first one that you need to know about. But so Andromeda toxin simultaneously causes part of the heart beat heart to beat quickly and then part of it to beat dangerously slow. So it can cause sudden cardiac death. But that only happens in large doses. So in smaller doses, you can expect to start with a lot of vomiting after which every hole in your head will leak its fluids down your face. About an hour later, your breathing will slow down. You'll lose the ability to use your muscles. You'll slip into a coma and die. Oh, my God. The the terrifying part is that you don't actually have to eat the flowers. There's honey from bees uh, that have visited this particular flower, and they contain all the toxic properties of the flower. The Greeks called it mad honey, and they used it to defeat Xenophon of Athens in 400 BC. I think that's crazy. Um, there number okay, so there was like there was like the top ten. So that was number ten. So they get worse from here. Um, number nine was a flower called ragwort. It is a common wildflower similar to a daisy in the UK. It looks very much like a daisy. Um, it is a very important part of the le- local ecosystem. 
almost 80 insects get food from this plant. And at least 30 of those feed on ragwort excuse exclusively. So uh, they have to, they're great for conservation. They're horrible for humans. Um, the problem with this ragwort is that uh, unlike most poisons, which leave the system, uh, the alkaloids in ragwort build up in the liver over time. So it's not like a sudden poisoning. And um, the toxins result in liver cirrhosis. So basically causes your liver to slowly fold in on, of it, on itself as healthy cells degenerate into oh. unresponsive mass of scar tissue. So the liver is resilient and will continue operating like normal until it's 75% um, of it has been destroyed. And at that point, it's irreversible. Oh, my God, Glenn, be careful. I know. <laughs> so uh, if the farmers try to remove ragwort from their fields, the toxins can seep right into the skin of their oh hands. Oh, my gosh. So you have to be careful. I know. Crazy. All right. So nine, eight is veritrum. It is found on nearly every mountain in the northern hemisphere. Um, gorgeous flower. Gorgeous heart-shaped flower. It's really for ornamental uh, reasons only. It can be confused with garlic, so that sucks. But it is lethally toxic. So the first thing that happens is you go into violent stomach cramping, and that's usually after about 30 minutes. At that point, the toxins are absorbing into the bloodstream, and they make a beeline for the sodium ion channels, which are like gates to allow sodium to flow through the nerves, triggering an action. So... Um, like muscle contractions would be one of those things, right? So if the veritrum toxins hit the sodium ion channels, they open the floodgates, forcing the channels to fire continuously. So imagine all those contractions. The body doesn't know what to do with this, so the heart begins to alternately, oh alternatively slow and speed up. Muscles all over the body start to convulse. Eventually, the toxin either causes a heart attack or coma. It is believed that this is the poison that killed Alexander the Great. Oh, my God. And how about that good old calla lily coming in at number seven? You get these all the time. Funeral homes. Why do they have this? Um, but it is on every continent except Antarctica. Um, do you know? It's the one that kind of looks like a like a sushi roll. I, I, yeah, I'm looking at your list because I was like, I had to see these flowers. As you were talking about them, and like, holy shit! Like, oh. I'm not reading; I'm looking at the pictures. It's, like, do okay, I do I have right? these in my yard? Like, <laughs> they look like little tubes, right? Um, so they contain calcium oxalate, a chemical that forms needle-like crystals oh in, the, in your internal organs. <laughs> Jesus Christ! I don't have enough beer God, for this. I'm almost damn. out of this beer, and we're not okay. even through the trivia. So, a time. Okay, that's like a. a, a it's a problem on a large scale, but even on a small scale, um, you it will cause your throat to swell. Mm. It'll have like a really insane burning. And basically what it would cause is anaphylaxis. Your your throat your throat closes up. Um, a Chinese restaurant accidentally put the flower petals from the toxic plant onto their food and everyone who ate it went to the hospital. Oh All right. God. Number six, I'm not even it's I think it's Colchicum Atomle. Autumn lay, 
Armel. It's native to the UK. Oh my but it God. can now be found across most of Europe and New Zealand. Um, one of its common names is the Naked Lady. It's a beautiful purple flower. Um, it's deceptive in that name, right? The chemical at work here is colchicine, a poison that kills with methods similar to arsenic, shutting down all of your body's vital functions, mass organ failure, blood clots, nerve disruptions, and that's just to name a few. Glenn, get out of the UK. The flowers are trying to kill you. <laughs> Death can take anywhere from days to weeks, but when you eat enough, it is always fatal. Um, for whatever reason, the flower leaves you conscious to the bitter end. Ain't that some shit? Mm. Um, it's similar to cholera. All right, so number five is labernum. Everybody's brain is hardwired to accept nicotine through receptors, the same shape as nicotine molecules. Despite their name, nico- nicotinic receptors can also bond with other chemicals. One such chemical is cysticine. Um, in low doses, it's still very harmful. As a drug, it sometimes... I am getting a call. That's oh. weird. From somebody... It's weird. They want to be on uh, the show? As, as a, not like, right now, I'm getting a show from somebody that's really... It's random. As a drug... Hi, everybody. As a drug, sometimes helps people quit smoking. smoking oh, because of its ability to bond to those receptors. But in large doses, lethal. Um, it's been recorded for centuries, these, these, uh, poisonings, they often involve children who eat either the flowers or the seed casings, which look like pea pods. Um, it's really, it's really crazy. The cis, the sign, which is present in every single part of the tree starts working in minutes. Poisoning starts with intense vomiting, followed by streams of foam pouring out of the mouth. After about an hour, the convulsions start. No, thank you. Um, and I'm just going to stop. Should I keep going? <laughs> There's also the suicide tree. Um, it, it is in India, and I, it's Cerbera odalum. It kind of... Um, or the suicide tree. It reminds huh. me of dogwood almost. It's it's such a cute fla- flower, but oh my God. Um, it's a perfect murder weapon. In the southwest, southeast, uh, southwest region of India, in a 10-year period, at least 500 deaths were f- confirmed oh to be God. the work of the flower-bearing tree, which kills through a potent glycoside called cerberin. So, oh, cerberin, sorry. Starts working within an hour. After some light stomach pain, you slip into a quiet coma and your heart politely stops beating. It is a very discreet murder weapon. Oh. Uh, number three was, oh, I'm not even going to try to pronounce that. Um, also looks like a daisy. Uh, it's also no, commonly known as blood root. Native Americans used the blood red roots as an ornamental dye, but they also used it to induce abortions. Oh Enough gosh. of it will put you into a coma. People more recently have taken it taken to using it as a home remedy for skin cancer with horrible Why would you results. use it for skin cancer? It literally <laughs> says it will put you in a coma and induces a border. What part of that? I don't, I'm sorry. I don't get it. I don't get it. I'm, I'm, okay. So 
it contains a dangerous toxin called sangurine, sangurine, which uh, is an escharotic substance. So escharotics kill tissue and slough off, slough it off as a creamy pulp, leaving Ooh. behind a dark black scar. Why would you even want to do that? God. I'm trying to rid myself of skin cancer by giving myself no um, skin at all. So putting putting blood root on your skin causes your skin cells to kill themselves. Oh my god! So don't do that. Number two is Adenium obesum, native to Africa. Um, it has been used as spear poison for tribes for centuries. The mm. desert rose, as the preparation is called, is made by boiling the plant for twelve hours before removing all the plant matter and letting the liquid evaporate. Who figured that shit out? <laughs> it's like who figured out that if you boil artichoke, it's edible. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like who? figures this stuff out hungry people <laughs> i mean like mushrooms who picked that shit up <laughs> it was like anyway all right so bloop blop bleep blop bloop and number one is i'm not gonna say the scientific name but i okay i'll try nope don't ask me you're looking at it. In 2002, eight tourists in Argyll, Scotland, decided to forage some choice water parsnips from a nearby stream. Prize in hand, they returned home to put them in a curry dish. The next day, four of them were in the hospital. What they thought were water parsnip was actually Onanth crocata or hemlock water dropwort. The plant has a mortality rate of up to 70%. So the group was lucky that nobody died. Holy crap. Hemlock water dropwort has an interesting property. It's lethal, but the killer toxin, not going to try to say that, relaxes your muscles around your lips and forces you to smile. Oh my God, that is like the worst thing ever. Even, <laughs> that's like hell. Even when you're in the throes of fatal convulsions, the plant has been used in Greece since at least the 8th century BC when Homer coined the term sardonic grin to describe the grisly smile adorning the faces of water dropwort victims. Holy crap. Now these flowers, they're so pretty. Like no one would even think like twice about touching them or like picking them up. <clears throat> I would touch all of those. All of those. All of them. I know. So, Okay. So, uh, you all know by now, if you're listening to this, what you clicked on. So, we are going to be talking about another flower that doesn't even exist called the Black Dahlia. Ooh. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Does not exist. Does not exist. But the Dahlia does. Um, it's just not not black. Not black. So, um, for those of you who don't know who the Black Dahlia is, um, it, it is one of the most the most famous, one of the oldest unsolved murder cases um, in Los Angeles and California history, but uh, it was the murder of a young woman named Elizabeth Short. So I'll just get into that. All right. And I did a Nixium deep dive rabbit hole. I went into every single thing. So I'm going to say right <laughs> off the bat, I'm not going to talk about everything, but I'm going, uh, if you go into our episode notes, I listened to two series um, the entire way through, uh, one called Root of Evil, which is about um, about the Hodel family, which is uh, one of the, one of the 
suspects in the case. And that was a really interesting, even if it, if you don't believe that uh, George Hodel had anything to do with it, I suggest you listen to it. Um, and the other one is the Blue Dahlia and the Black Dahlia, or vice versa, the Black Dahlia and the Blue Dahlia. And the Blue Dahlia was a film noir uh, movie that came out in 1946. Or is it 45? God dang. <laughs> anyway, so see, my brain is all messed up. Anyway, so uh, he... he he does a very, very good job of uh, explaining why in 1947 the name The Black Dahlia came about. And it's, it's a really good deep dive. Highly recommend listening to both of those entire series. Oh, excuse me, 1946. You were right. The, the film okay. was okay. 1946. Thanks. And it's The Blue Dahlia. The Blue Dahlia. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Elizabeth Short uh, was born on July 29th, 1924, in the Hyde Park section of Boston, Massachusetts, which I know exactly where that is. Um, she's the third of five daughters of Cleo and Phoebe May Short, or S- Sawyer. She was born Sawyer. Um, around 1927, the Short family relocated to Portland, Maine, before settling in Medford, Massachusetts. Um, and this is where Short was raised most of her life. Her dad built miniature golf courses, which I think is just just so cute, until the 1929 stock market crash when he lost most of his savings and the family became broke. Um, In 1930, her father's car was found abandoned on the Charleston Bridge, and it was assumed that he had committed suicide Mm -hmm. by jumping into the Charles River. Believing that her husband had to be deceased, uh, Short's mom moved with her five daughters into a small apartment in Medford and worked as a bookkeeper to support them. Troubled by bronchitis and severe asthma, Short underwent lung surgery at age 15, after which doctors suggested she relocate to milder climate during the winter months to prevent further respiratory problems. Short's mother then sent her to spend winters in Miami, with family friends. Wouldn't that be nice? Yeah. I would spend the winter in Miami. Actually, I've been to Miami in the winter, and it's still hot. It's so hot. Just too hot. Uh, during the next three years, Elizabeth lived in Florida during the winter months and spent the rest of the year in Medford with her mom and sisters. In her sophomore year, she dropped out of Medford High School, though. Mm. Look, is she just... She saw a lot of the country, and she was just not having it in Medford, Mass. anymore. So in late 1942, uh, Elizabeth's mama received a letter of apology from her presumed deceased husband. Oh, my God. Which revealed that he was, in fact, alive (gasps) and had started a new life in California. And so in December, at age 18... Short relocated to Vallejo to live with her dad. Now, so Vallejo is like northern Northern California. I would be right? so Social mad. Life. Like, I don't, oh, I don't yes. know that I would go live with him. Like, what the hell? She dropped out of high school. She needed a place to stay. She was over it with Mama. I guess right. And so he's like, look. I'm, he was working um, at a shipyard near San Francisco Bay, right? So he's like, look, if you come and you um, cook for me and, and help clean the house and, you know, kind of your, I'm, I'm, you know, room and board is taken care of. I just need you to help around the house. 
for sure. She was all about it. She was like, I'll absolutely do it. Um, shortly after she moved there in January of 1943, she took a job at the base exchange at Camp Cook. Now Vandenberg Air Force Base. I don't know if I said that right. But it looks right. Uh, and that's near Lompoc. Living with several friends and briefly with an Army Force sergeant who reportedly abused her. So she didn't even stay that long with her dad because she was like, I'm not your maid. I'm not. I don't know how to cook. <laughs> she she left. So after she left Lompoc, Lompoc in 1943, she moved to Santa Barbara, where she was arrested in September uh, 23rd, 1943 for underage drinking at a local bar, which is kind of crazy because she is not known for being a drinker. That was not her thing. Yeah. Um, so this might have been the impetus for that, like that she wasn't a big drinker. Um, and so uh, the pictures that you'll post will be uh, her, her mug shot, which I think is just one of the most beautiful pictures ever yeah. taken of her. She's just standing in that picture. Uh, the juvenile authorities sent her back to Medford, womp, womp, but she returned instead to Florida, making only occasional visits to her mom. So while she was in Florida, she met Major Matthew Michael Jordan Jr. That's oh. a very long name. Um, he was an Army Air Force officer at the 2nd Air Commando Group. Um, he was training for deployment to the China-Burma-India Theater of Operations of World War II. Um, she had told her friends that um, <clears throat> Mr. Gordon had written to propose marriage while, she, while he was recovering from injuries from a plane crash in India. She accepted the offer, but Gordon died in a second crash oh my God. on August 10th. I know, he very unlucky. Um, on August 10th, 1945, four days before the end of the war. Mm. that is just crap crap yeah. um so at this point she was like well what am i gonna do so she decided she was gonna go uh to la you know let's just do it let's just go to la where else where else can i go um and she left for la in july of 1946 and she went to visit Army Air Force Lieutenant Joseph Gordon Fickling, whom she had known from Florida. So he was stationed at the Naval Reserve Air Base in Long Beach. And so she spent the last six months of her life in Southern California, mostly in L.A. Um, shortly before her death, she had been working as a waitress. Um, she rented a room behind the Florentine Gardens nightclub on Hollywood Boulevard, um, she was kind of all over the place. She didn't really have a job. She was living from hotel to hotel. She's been variously described as and depicted as an aspiring or would be actress, mm. though um, she's she never had any parts. She she ne didn't have a SAG or after card. She didn't have like she would have not been cast even as an extra in anything. Yeah. She didn't have an agent. If you if you didn't if you weren't in the union, you weren't going to get cast. And so she didn't, she wasn't doing anything to get herself there. Um, so it was just she was living like kind of like hand to mouth every yeah. single day. And um, so, so this whole idea that she was this aspiring actress, she didn't have any jobs or credits to her name. And it wasn't really like something you work for that, you know, yeah. like everybody, you have a headshot. She didn't have a headshot. Wow. So, you know, 
there's just really beautiful pictures of her um, that were sort of taken at different times, but they weren't serious headshots yeah. that were sent sent anywhere. Um, so on January 9th, 1947, Short returned to her home in L.A. after a brief trip to San Diego with Robert Red Manley, a 25-year-old married salesman she had been dating. Manley stated that he dropped Short off at the Biltmore Hotel, located at 506 South Grand Avenue in downtown L.A., and that Short was to meet her sister, who was visiting from Boston that afternoon. And by some accounts, staff of the Biltmore recalled having seen Short using the lobby telephone. She used a lot of payphones. And shortly after, she was allegedly seen by patrons from of the Crown... Crown Grill at 754 South Olive Street, approximately 0.4 miles away from the Biltmore. Hmm. And even that is under suspicion. There's like some of these timelines don't really match up. That's why I'm like, look, I'm just going to give you some of the basics. I am. There's so much to talk about. I really, really, really suggest you guys listen to some of these podcasts because it's very interesting. So in the morning of January 15th, so Let me remind you, this was on January 9th. On January 15th, the morning of January 15th, Short's naked body was found severed into two pieces on a vacant lot on the west side of South Norton Avenue, midway between Coliseum Street and West 39th Street in Limart Park, L.A. And so at this time, this was was suburbia. Mm -hmm. It was largely undeveloped. There would be no reason to be here. Even if you were going to a game, if you were going downtown, if you were going to West Hollywood, there is no reason to be in this place, right? Um, Local resident Betty Bersinger discovered the body at about 10 a.m. She was out for her walk, out for a walk with her three-year-old daughter, and she saw what she thought was like a discarded mannequin. Yeah. Um, But as she got closer to it, what she – so how it's portrayed – all over the internet is that she saw, she realized it was a corpse and she rushed to call somebody, but she said she didn't think it was a corpse. She felt very uneasy. She was like, I thought it was a mannequin, but it was too white to be a mannequin. There was no blood anywhere. Yeah. She thought it was two pieces. She was like, this isn't right. And she didn't like, she was with her three-year-old daughter. She wasn't going to stop and keep looking. So she just was like, what, what, what? And, she ran, they ran, yeah. you know, she's like, I don't know what it is, but it doesn't look like a, it doesn't look like a mannequin. It kind of looks like a mannequin, but I don't, it's not right. Whatever it is, it's not right. Yeah. And so she called um, and they said, okay, well, what number are you calling from? They didn't ask for her name. So it took days before the police could even talk to her because they went to the other lady's house. Hey, yeah. you called? And she's like, I didn't call. It was some other lady. Yeah. Anyway, so, um, Short's severely mutilated body was completely severed at the waist and drained of blood. Now, you absolutely can see crime scene photos. You can absolutely see inside each half of Elizabeth Short's body. Oh, it my does God. Not, you, don't have to, you do not have to go anywhere to look for that. You can just type in crime scene photos, Black Dahlia. Like, it's going to be there. Um It's crazy. And I I, I just, I looked at it so you don't have to. All right. So she was drained of blood. There was no blood found except for on a 50 pound, a a sack of what used to be 50 pound concrete. 
like it was a big sack that was used to hold concrete, right? And so there was some watery blood found on that. Other than that, there was no blood found anywhere. She was pallid white. Uh, Medical examiners determined that she'd been dead for about 10 hours prior to this discovery. So somebody moved her there and she was moved on these 50 pound sacks. Um, So she would have died sometime during the evening of the 14th or in the early morning of the 15th. Uh, The body had apparently been washed by the killer. So she was, she was clean. Um, She, her face was slashed from the corners of her mouth oh my God. to her ear to her ears. And this is known as the Glasgow smile, although that is not exactly right. Um, Glasgow smile would be more superficial, like that uh, famous actor from Braveheart, Sons of Anarchy, Tommy yeah. Flanagan. You know, so it always looks like you're smiling. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's a way to remind people not to call the police. Like, don't be a snitch. Right? So... And so that was said to have originated in Glasgow uh, at, between in the 20s or 30s. Elizabeth's cuts basically sliced her open all the way to her ears. Like, there's just no way that would have, like, I left a it. tiny, cute little scar on your cheeks, you know? Um, the corpse had been... Oh, I'm sorry. Should I bloop, 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 bloop. She had several cuts on her thigh, um, her right areola and nipple and like some around the areola had been cut off um entire pieces of her flesh were cut away the lower half of her body was positioned a foot away from the upper and sort of off to the side and her intestines had been tucked neatly beneath her booty um the corpse was posed uh, she also had a cut above her pelvic region, similar to like maybe what like a hysterectomy would be. It was just sort of this open, gaping wound just above her pelvic area. Um, but her hands were po- posed over her head. Her elbows were bent at right angles. Her legs were spread wide apart. And so you could just see all the stuff. Um, upon discovery, a crowd of Passerbys, uh, passersby and reporters began to gather and they found they located a heel print on the ground amid the tire tracks and a cement sack containing the watery blood. That's what they, so they were able to find that inside of her body. They did find Oh a, my god, an, just the thought that you could see inside army, her body. An army kind of watch, like a military style watch. So that was, that was you could see it in the photos. Um, so an autopsy of Short's body, they did not know who she was. Um, she was so badly, badly mutilated. Um, they did perform an autopsy on the 16th. Frederick Newbar, the L.A. County coroner, uh, did the autopsy. She was 5 feet 5, weighed 115 pounds. Um, she had light blue eyes, brown hair, looked very black, though, and had badly decayed teeth. Her teeth were in such bad shape. Um, cavities everywhere. Some were loose. And she had filled in the cavities with um, wax. And so, like, but at 22, this was a lot of decay at 22. And so um, it just goes, like, like, it said something about her, I guess, at that that age to just not care or this was a source of, of, 
being what's that feeling what's that self-conscious like who knows well, i mean you know when you're if, if you're depressed i mean that's usually a sign too is your oral hygiene goes down the hill because you don't take care of yourself all but kinds of mental disorders beautiful. she all she was always dressed to the nine you know she just yeah. always it's crazy anyway um there were ligature marks on her ankles wrists and neck and an irregular laceration with superficial tissue loss on her right breast. Nubar also noted superficial lacerations on the right forearm, left upper arm, and the lower side, uh, uh, lower left side of the chest. The body had been cut completely in half by a technique taught in the 1930s called hemicorporectomy. The lower half of the of her body had been removed by transecting the lumbar spine between the second and third lumbar vertebrae, thus severing the intestines at the duodenum. Newbard's report noted very little bruising along the incision line, suggesting it had been performed after her death. Another gaping laceration measured about four and a quarter inches in length ran longitudinally from the umbilicus to the suprapubic region. Sorry. The laceration. And so that was that. I don't know. Are you looking at it right now? Mm -mm. It's kind of. I I do not want to look at these pictures. It's just above her pubic region. And it's kind of like that. It's just, it's huge. Um, The lacerations on each side of her face, which extended from the corners of her lips, were measured at three inches on the right side of the face and two and a half inches on the left. The skull was not fractured, but there was bruising noted on the front right side of her scalp with a small amount of bleeding um, consistent with blows to the head. The cause of death was determined to be hemorrhaging from the lacerations to her face and the shock from blows to the head and face. Mm. Um, he noted that shorts anal canal uh, was dilated to one and three quarters inches suggesting that she may have been raped samples were taken from her body testing for the presence of sperm but the results came back negative Mm. there were bristles like from a brush in the anal cavity though there was also there could have been from there that could have been from the cleaning there was also a rose tattoo that was removed from her thigh um, and that was found inserted into her vagina. Why? What? I mean, it's just so unnecessary. There were also uh, burn marks for, from a cigarette on her back. She had. She was. She was tortured. Like this is a, a woman who was tortured uh, before and after death. Short was identified uh, after her fingerprints were sent to the FBI via sound photo. This was a device which trans. This is like before fax. Um, a device which transmitted images by telephone and was normally used for news photographs. Short's fingerprints were on file from her arrest in 1943. So, immediately following Short's identification, um, William Randolph Hearst's paper, the L.A. Examiner, contacted her mom. This is some shit right here. They contacted her mom. They said, "Hey, hi." Your daughter won a beauty contest. Can you tell us some more about her? And so she was like, wow, that's amazing. And so they got... That is so fucked up. Oh, my God. I can't believe that is so fucked up. So 
she's like, that's so great. So she just starts to tell them all about Elizabeth, like how she, what she knows about Elizabeth, right? And they're like, we're sorry, we're just kidding. We're kidding. She was actually found dead. And you know what? Why don't you come to LA and work with the cops to help us solve this case? So she's like, okay, absolutely. So they bring her out to LA and they put her in a hotel and they don't let her talk to the cops <laughs> okay so they should have like they are, given uh, some kind of break in between hey she won a contest and hey she's dead like they should have at least waited like oh we're so sorry you know like not the so same conversation the quote is, this is it was only after prying as much personal information as they could from phoebe that the reporters revealed that her daughter had in fact been murdered so they <laughs> offered to pay for her airfare and accommodations if she would travel to la to help with the police investigation but no, um, they didn't, they didn't help. The mom did not help because the examiner kept her away. Um, the examiner in another Hearst newspaper, the LA Herald Express, later sensationalized the case with one article from the examiner describing the black tailored suit short was last seen wearing as a tight skirt and sheer blouse. The media, it's, this is another kind of myth. It's, it's, the media called her the Black Dahlia at that point, but it was actually people who, it was little 12-year-old boys who used to see her in her bathing suits on her way to the beach or whatever, and they, they she used to go to the pharmacy to get suntan lotion or whatever. Yeah. And she was wearing a two-piece bathing suit, like, right after they became... In use. Yeah. Like she was in a two-piece bathing suit. So all these little 12-year-old boys would see her at the pharmacy. And so she became known as the Black Dahlia. They interviewed. And so that's where the name Black Dahlia comes from. Um, the media did not make that up. They, they were not that clever. Um, they described her as a, quote, adventurous... So she was easy. Who, pr- quote, proud Hollywood Boulevard... Additional newspaper reports, such as one published by the L.A. Times on January 17th, deemed the murder a sex fiend slaying. Wow. Sex fiend. So um, on the 21st of January 1947, someone who claimed to be her killer placed a phone call to the office of the editor of the Examiner and congratulated him. It was like, yeah, great job. Oh, thank you. Well, you're getting kind of low on information, right? Yeah. Well, what if I sent you some stuff? I have some souvenirs of Beth Shorts. I'll send it to you in the mail. Okay. Right? (laughs) So they're like, sure. I just want you to know in the background, your cat is like climbing into the chair. And he's just like doing all this really cool stuff. Like, he's just like calmly like he looked at you and then he like just like climbed into the chair anyways i'm sorry that's what i was looking at he cannot he cannot sit still sorry to interrupt this super serious story but um your cat your black cat in the background was like perfect timing as you told the story oh no he's at least he's not meowing like crazy (laughs) god it's so hard to tell these like really hard stories without trying to make things funny so you know i'm trying to be i'm trying to give this woman the, you you oh, can here he goes you continue i will continue watching the cat well he's talking to me now <laughs> can you hear him yes he's telling the story he is he's like by the way 
So on on January 24th, uh, a suspicious manila envelope was discovered by a U.S. Postal Service worker, and it was addressed to the L.A. Examiner and other L.A. papers with individual words that had been cut out and pasted from newspaper clippings like a ransom note. That doesn't look suspicious at all. And this was all pre-DNA, so they could have licked all that stuff, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Um, but it was like photographs, business cards, there was a birth certificate, names were written on pieces of paper, uh, there was a... It um, had her birth uh, certificate in it? Yeah, but if they had, like, gotten to her purse, like, she could have had, you know, she didn't have, like, a whole lot of ID, this is, I mean... I don't know. If you say so. Um, the packet had been carefully cleaned with gasoline, just like her body, um, and which led police to suspect the packet had been sent directly by her killer. So gasoline was like a, a, a cleaner at that time. It killed stuff. You would not get any fingerprints. You wouldn't get any oil from yeah. that, right? Um Despite the efforts to clean the packet, several partial fingerprints were lifted from the envelope, but because it was at the postal service, like, there was too many people, they didn't didn't really try to eliminate all the fingerprints. They were like, okay, that's too hard. On March 14th, an apparent suicide note scrawled in pencil on a bit of paper was found tucked in a shoe in a pile of men's clothing by the ocean's edge at the foot of Bre- uh, Breeze Avenue in Venice. The note read, To whom it may concern, I have waited for police to capture me for the Black Dahlia killing, but have not. I am too much of a coward to turn myself in, so this is the best way out for me. <laughs> I couldn't help myself for that or this. Sorry, Mary. Okay. And then that's it. That's all that's that says. So Mark Hansen is the, another name that's going to come up a lot. Um, I'm not going to talk about him too much, but he was the owner of one of, of the notebook that that the person sent to to the papers. Okay. And it was like her, or her, it was like her date book, but the book was ten years out of date. So she just used it for note writing, journal keeping. It was like paper. Yeah. You know. It was just a notepad for her. She didn't use it for the calendar. It was very out of date. But Mark Hansen uh, was the owner of it. He was a wealthy nightclub owner and theater owner and an acquaintance at at whose home Short had stayed with friends. Um, And according to some sources, he also confirmed that the purse and shoe discovered in the alley were, in fact, Shorts. So there were some Shorts and shoes that were discovered and he was able to identify the shoes because he had helped put little taps on them. And he was able to identify the purse because he said, even though it was in a trash can and at the city dump, it smelled like Elizabeth. Like it, inside, it had her her perfume, oh, which I get. Okay. Like if you open up a purse yeah. after many years, it's going to smell like your Yeah, stuff, but after you know? it's been in the trash and dump and stuff? Only like a couple of weeks. You know, it wasn't like a long time. Um. So, loop, lop, loop, lop, loop, lop, loop. Uh, and to Hoth, Short's friend and roommate, told investigators that Short had recently rejected sexual advances from Hansen and suggested it was a, poten- a potential cause for him to kill her. Uh, however, he was cleared of suspicion in the case. 
Um, in addition to LAPD, inter- Hansen LAPD interviewed 150 men in the oh ensuing God. weeks whom they believed were potential suspects. A total of 750 investigators from LAPD and other departments worked on the case during its initial stages, including 400 sheriff's deputies and 250 state patrol officers. What are you doing? Stop it. Stop it. He's taking... I'm I'm unplugging. Okay. Okay. If If my computer dies, that's why. He's trying to take out my thing. Um, Where was I? 270 officers. 250 California State Patrol officers. Various locations were searched for potential evidence, including storm drains throughout L.A., abandoned structures. I mean, just so much. City Councilman Lloyd G. Davis posted a $10,000 reward. um, And that's like that's like an equivalent of $115,000 for the for the for the capture of this person. Um, So. Obviously, lots of people came forward, and um, I think it was said 500 people, over 500 people to date, have tried to confess to the killing of uh, the of the murder. Um, and he, and one of the detectives was like, "You wouldn't believe how many people turned in family members. They wanted that money." <laughs> yeah, I mean, to be fair, uh, there's a lot of family members I would turn in for random crimes if I, you know. Absolutely. Um, several of the false confessors, though, were charged with obstruction of justice because you can't, like, call cry fire in a theater. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you can't lie like that like, willingly. Um, on January 26th, another letter was received, uh, signed the Black Dahlia Avenger. It was handwritten. It says, here it is. Turning in Wednesday, January 29th, 10 a.m. Had my fun at police. Black Dahlia Avenger. The letter was also named a loca- also named a location at which the supposed killer would turn himself in. Police waited in a location on the morning of January 29th, but guess what? Nobody came. Oh. Then they got another letter, which was a cut and paste letter, and said, "Have changed my mind. You would not give me a square deal. Dahlia killing was justified." Wow. I mean, you know, and who knows if that's even true? And to. Obviously, if they felt her death was justified, they're obviously insane. So, yeah, right. So he had said, I will give up on Dahlia killing if I get 10 years. Don't try to find me. And again, it was one of those like cut and paste things. On February 1st, the LA Daily News reported the case had, quote, run into a stone wall. Um... There was no new leads, nothing, nothing coming up. The examiner continued to run stories on the murder and the investigation, which was front page news for 35 days. Um, the LA Times, on the other hand, was running things like Eleanor Roosevelt has license, driver's license revoked. Like, you know, world news, you know, things yeah. like that. Things that are important. Sorry. That's, you know, but not not the sex fiend Yeah. Killing. Um, so, Sergeant Finnis Brown, um, on the various ends of the dead ends of the case, he says, no lead has had any conclusions. Once we'd find something, it seemed to disappear in front of our eyes. And by the spring of 1947, Short's murder had become a cold case with, with very few new leads. Um, 
uh, Sergeant Finnis Brown, he was one of the lead detectives on the case, uh, blamed the press for compromising the investigation through reporters probing of details and unverified reporting. Sound familiar? <laughs> Still happens. In September 1949, a grand jury convened to discuss inadequacies in the LAPD's homicide unit based on the failure to solve murder numerous murders, especially those of women and children in the past several years. Shorts just being one of them. In the aftermath of the grand jury, further investigation was done on Short's past. The detectives tracing her movements between Massachusetts, California, and Florida, and also uh, interviewed people who knew her in Texas and New Orleans. Um, but nothing was ever really came of it. Okay, so um, police received a total of 60 confessions. Wow. But and that was like at that time. And then, like I said, over 500 now um, have come come to, I did it. Mission to speak up. That's it. Boom, boom, boom. A lot of those people were not even born. It's just <laughs> so crazy. Um, so suspects remaining under discussion by various authors and experts include a doctor named Walter Bailey, proposed by the former Times copy editor Larry Harnish. Times publisher Norman Chandler, whom, biograph, whom biographer Donald Wolf claims impregnated short, Leslie Dillon, Joseph Dumay, Artie Lane, Mark Hansen, Dr. Francis Sweeney, Woody Guthrie, Bugsy Siegel, Orson Welles, Dr. George Hodel, Hodel's friend, Fred Sexton, George Knowlton, Robert M. R. Uh, Robert or Red Manley, Patrick S. O'Reilly and Jack Anderson Wilson. So police came to consider Dr. Hodel a suspect after uh, Short was murdered. He was never formally charged with the crime, but what has come to attention over um, the last decade, really, or, or a couple of decades nearly, um, was that he was so much under suspicion that they bugged his house. Oh, wow. And Jason was like, they bugged, they had bugs back then? Yeah. Like, yeah, they had bugs. So like, So they brought him in after, he was like an official suspect. They brought him in, and while he was in the police station, they went to his house and they ran wires from his bedroom Damn. and his living room. And they got, I mean, like, they had to do it like old school style, yeah. right? And, um, uh, but he lived in this beautiful home that was, that was, uh, designed by Frank Wright, who was Frank Lloyd Wright Jr.'s son. So it's this beautiful Art Deco. It's it's known as the Snowden House. Um, the Hodel family uh, called it the Franklin House, but um, it's the Snowden House. Uh, but it's this just gorgeous, gorgeous home. Um, a very rich marijuana grower <laughs> owns it now. Um, it's gorgeous. Um. So he was the reason one of the reasons was he was a suspect in the death of his secretary, Ruth Spaulding. He was not charged. Um, he was also accused of raping his own daughter, oh. Tamar. Um, and she went on the stand. She was 14 or no, 15 at the time. Uh, she went on the stand. He impregnated her uh, and as a doctor aborted that baby. Um, and then a year later, she was impregnated again. She never said who the dad was, but that baby was given up for adoption, um, sort of um, on the DL. The baby 
Fauna Hodel was given to the bathroom attendant at a very nice hotel um, to a black woman and uh, was raised by that black woman thinking that this baby was, even though she was lily white, was biracial. Um, and she was, she was not. Yeah. And so the, uh, and so Tamar, who was the, who was the daughter had a bunch of other, a bunch of other kids. There was, um, I'm sorry. I'm going to, there was joy to the world, peace and love to all men. I can't remember his whole name. These are kids names. Peace, peace to Pete. Yes. Peace, peace to all men or something like that. So then there was joy to the world and then there was just love. And then she had another daughter named Debbie Elizabeth. And then she had, and then she, uh uh-huh. Then she had Fauna. Mm. So Fauna was the one that got given up. And uh, so that's what Root of Evil is all about. This what a crazy story. Um, It is very, very, it's just amazing. These people just, actually, these people turn out so great. Um, even though they came from some crazy, crazy stock. Wow. So he was acquitted um, from that incest trial. It was called a morals case, the morals uh, uh, trial. And he was acquitted. It was said that that he they think that he might have paid off the jurors because right after he was acquitted, he went and shook hands with several of the oh, jurors. Oh, wow. That's weird. How do you, how do you um listen to a 15 year old and then go the dad is like she's lying okay yep she's lying um, yeah women are so, always lying and then there were three other witnesses that also said that he did what he did and they they're also lying like why would they do that um so there was a couple of other different theories i'll go into those really quickly i know this is such a long story i told ashley this was going to be a long one um, a couple of other crime authors, such as uh, Cleveland detective Peter Marylowe, have suspected a link between the short murder and the Cleveland torso murders, which took place in Cleveland, Ohio in 1934, um, in thir- between 34 and 38. Um, as, as part of their investigation into other murders that took place before and after the short killing, the original LAPD investigators studied the torso murders in 1947, but later discontin- discounted any uh, relationship between the two cases. You know who did the torso murders? Uh, Elliot Ness. He was one of the, uh, mm. from the Untouchables. Oh. Remember him? Yeah. Yeah, Elliot Ness. That oh. Elliot Ness. Yeah. Just thinking about just torsos. Torsos? Mm. You know, Emily yes. from, um, and that's why they, and that's why we drink has a uh-huh. big thing about it. And they always and talk about the torsos. It always grosses me out. Thinking about like random body parts, feet, the t- torsos. The feet, yeah, the disembodied feet. What is that about? And a lot of them are suicide victims. That's crazy. You know, they talk about that. Um, so there was some like there's a couple of people who keep bringing that up in 1992. Uh, Unsolved Mysteries even talked about it. Um, the Elliot Ness biographer Oscar Fraley suggests suggested Ness knew the identity of the killer responsible for both cases. Well, then why didn't he say anything? Yeah. Um, um, that same year, on February tw- 10th, there was the murder of Jean French in L.A. 
Um, they also thought maybe that she was connected to Short's killing. French's body was discovered um, in West L.A. on Grandview Boulevard, nude and badly beaten. And written on her stomach and lipstick was what appeared to say, fuck you, B.D. Wow. Um, but the scrawling actually read, fuck you, P.D., like for police department. Um, but Steve Hodell, the son of George, Ho- Dr. Ho- George Hodell um, ha- and William Rasmussen have suggested a link between the short murder um, and the 1946 murder and dismemberment of six-year-old Suzanne Degnan in Chicago, Illinois. Um, so there's some similarities there for that, which is just gross. Um Additionally, he has implicated his father as Short's killer and as well as up to 50 other murders. Now, George Hodel, I could go. This is a whole other whole <laughs> other episode about him because he was like, of course, this he was a savant. He was he was one of the smartest people to ever come out of L.A., <laughs> California history. He graduated with one of the highest GPAs. He had one of the highest IQs ever recorded in California history. He went to college at 15. He got one of the professor's wives, or I think it must have been the dean's wife, pregnant when wow. he was 15. Um, she rejected him. He was a piano virtuoso, uh, but stopped playing when he went to college. Um, but he... Uh, tried to win this this woman and she was like i'm pregnant with a child and you're a child (laughs) and i think that just kind of that changed the trajectory of his life he wanted to be an artist but ended up in medical school and so he just hung out with a bunch of artists and so one of the things that steve hodell uh really went into is that he was really good friends with all of these surrealists uh these surrealist artists and he was especially good friends with photographer and artist Man Ray. And if you don't know any of, of his stuff, he's very uh, he's still very popular. But one of the things about surrealists is that they were uh, it was very hedonistic. They they worked hard on their art. Yeah. They partied harder in life. And so there was lots of drugs, lots of sex. Women were objects. They weren't. They were very proud of not having children. But there was so much child abuse. There was so much of this happening, um, and it 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 spread to Tamar. So when Tamar had all of these kids, there was all these drugs and all this sex, and the children were exposed yeah. to all of that. And she was selling her children uh, to pay for things, and it, she it was just she was abused for so long that she just passed that on. And it wasn't until her children that that could be stopped, yeah. you know, like they stopped that cycle and it, but it, it, it tore them up. It tore them up. And it's just, it's, it's amazing to hear that. Um, I'm again, like I am telling you root of evil is just, you gotta, you guys gotta listen to that. Um, so some of the, I'm sorry, hold on. I got to move. I've, Gone all off my <laughs> thing. I'm totally off. Um, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Listen, listen. We're listening. L- listen, Linda. Listen. So Mark Hansen, um, I think, is still considered a suspect. Doctor George Hodel is still a suspect, and Doctor Patrick S. O'Reilly is still a suspect. Um, it's really, really kind of crazy. Um, so one of the things that I didn't talk about, so like I said, the 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 uh, George Hodel was bugged, right? Yeah. And for a long time, Steve 
nobody, nobody, the LA PD did not know uh, what those transcripts said. They were they what? were locked away. But the the people who did the original transcripts, the guy who did it made a copy and put them in a vault in the DA's office. In the DA's office, gave it to Steve Hodel, and he took copies of all of it. And he flipping reads this stuff, and you, he's like, and what? Supposing I did kill her, they couldn't pin it on me anyway. Just like they couldn't get, they didn't get me for my secretary's death. Oh my god! Like, like straight up. And then there's like beat, beat, beat. Woman screams, beat, beat. Another scream, like, like. And so Steve Hodel actually got in the basement of the Snowden Soden house. They found like the remnants of decayed bodies in this, in oh. like in the ground there. There's just no way of figuring out who it is, but it's like so long, so long after afterwards. And he died at 91. He committed suicide. Uh, and, and, and Dr. Hodel did. So he mm. got to, end his life late, 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 late. Um, but it did, uh, soil samples later did test positive for decomposed human remains. Um, it was just, it's so, it's so sucky. It's so sucky. It's so crazy what happened, but it's so crazy. All these things, but there were all these little things, all these little things, like even in the artwork of man Ray and other people, like he was almost paying homage. There was a mark on Elizabeth short's body that was similar to the art that was in this one, in one piece. Like it was almost like a, a replica of man Ray's piece. And it's, it's so, I'm telling you, there is a rabbit hole to go down. If you want to go down it, it's really amazing. So, that is my story. That was a good story. I am like, there's so much. Oh, my gosh. All right. Bloop, blop, bleep. That was good. That was really good. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, my God. It's so long. Sorry, everybody, for a long show. (laughs) Um, So, answers to the question of the week. If you've been listening, you may have forgotten. But the question was, what is your favorite (laughs) drink? Um, I did not forget because I was drinking the entire time. I actually ran out of beer and wish I had had another because that story um, was intense. Ooh. Okay. Uh, Jesse says, alcoholic southern tier cream brulee. That, my friends, is very true. That is one of my all-time favorites. We can no longer Ooh. get it in Texas. I'm very pissed off about it. Um, <laughs> I bet they'll ship to you. I don't, th- I don't think they can come to Texas. I think there's something, something happening. They can no yeah. longer... Southern tier may be intense, but not cream brulee. Um, anyways, non-alcoholic, either chai tea or dark roast coffee. Yes, coffee. Coffee Ooh. is life. Um, Deb says... I, yeah, if I were going to say non-alcoholic, it'd probably be coffee. Yeah. Because, mm, can't live. Can't live. <laughs> um, Deb says, I don't drink alcohol anymore, and I recently found an alcohol-free champagne that almost tastes like the real thing. It's by a brand called Free or Frey? No, it's my newest obsession. Um, we actually used to sell a lot of that at Specs, non-alcoholic champagne and and wine. Ooh, um, not like that that sparkling apple cider stuff. No, no, no. Yeah, it was. It yeah. had a very similar taste to the real thing. Um, <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, let's see. Tina says my homemade margaritas. Okay. Autumn, Autumn says. Blue cheese, gray 
Goose Dark Martini, Dirty Martini from the Row Poor. And now she says, I might go get one. Okay, I just want to say I've never heard of a blue cheese martini, but I would definitely be willing to try it because, wow. It's very wow, interesting. That sounds like I don't even know. I can't even picture. I, I used to be obsessed with blue cheese when I was little. Like that's all I would dressings for salads, for wings. Like when I was a kid, like blue cheese was like it. I, I would not eat anything if it didn't have blue cheese. I went and, through a blue cheese phase. And too. so now, yeah. not so, as a kid, so that's but. very interesting. Um, Nathan says Irish car bombs and more cowbell. Sarah, nice. Sarah Wise says, I'm struggling to pick Hendrix Gin and Fever Tree Tonic with Lime, a classic. Huh. Um, I don't know. How, Nicolette, is that how you say her name? Nick, Nikki. Nikki? Uh-huh. Says, I like a dirty martini if I'm out at the bar. If I'm home, I'll drink whatever is there. Same girl, same. Perla says, I'm an ex-sailor, <laughs> so anything not too flammable. Don't judge me. I know I'm a mess. Uh, girl, I'm not judging you. Um, <laughs> Catherine says... There's no judgment. Catherine says, uh, I'm boring in my old age. Just a beer. There's nothing our whole show's about. Well, not our whole show, listen, but it's like all about beer. Listen. Listen, Kat, listen. Um, Martha says, scotch, depending on quality, if with soda or straight. Jeannie says, Malbec, which is a wine. Chuck says a Ooh. broken screwdriver, which is ginger ale and oranges. Oh, my God, guys. I'm, like, learning so much right now. I'm so excited. Um, ginger ale is, my, is one of my favorite non-alcoholic drinks. So the thought of a broken screwdriver sounds pretty good. Um, Anne says I love a lemon drop. Amy says Ooh, extra yeah. dirty martini. So Evelyn says Ooh. champagne. Um, I like how almost no one lists anything non-alcoholic. Um, Jennifer says, <laughs> Jennifer says chai latte, anything with tequila, grapefruit, vodka, soda, and twist of lime. <gasps> yes. Oh, that sounds delicious. Hillary, wow, girl, you, good. we are on the same page. Box red sangria from Target. I like the box <laughs> Franzia wine, the, the, the chillable red. It's like, mm. I go to the box wine yeah. at Costco is the box. Guys, I used to work in space. The, and I hate the, to tell the, you, a lot of restaurants actually serve you box wine. So just get over that's it. Okay. Um, Don, I don't know how to say this. Camus Cabernet. We're just going to pretend that's how you say it. And sure. Janet. Unless um, it's Camus. I don't know. Janet says crown and diet, any wheat beer, diet, Pepsi, water. And now I'm thirsty. And so <laughs> those are our answers. Yay. I want oh, one so of much everything of now. Especially, I really, really, really want this um, blue cheese, gray goose, dirty martini now. Well, you know where to go, Rupor. Mm. You Sound. know where to go now. Vapor I pool. think it was... Um, I'm trying to... I, the first martini I'd ever had... Was at um, was with Julia at uh, the South Shore Harbor Resort. I had never had one before, and she ordered one for me, um, and it changed my life forever. I I love dirty martinis now, so that's what I get anytime I anytime I can. So now you know. Everyone knows my favorite. Um, I I guess I just really know, love all alcohol. Know. So. Now that I've narrowed it down for you, 
Stop it. Be sure to like Stop send it. me gift cards. Okay. Are you okay? He's, do you see that he's moving my whole computer? He's trying to unplug the headphones. Can you please he tell him he's rudely up. interrupting my request for people to send me alcohol? I accept gift <laughs> cards to any liquor store. Checks, cash, credit okay. cards. All right. Well, we love all of you. We thank do. Thank you so much for, for tuning in yet again. We can't thank you enough. I, but um, I was going to say, I did notice our Denmark fan did not comment. So I assume I pronounced every castle wrong. And I'm deeply sorry. Oh, <laughs> oh no, you were offended. <laughs> I am. I. I hope you know by now. I cannot pronounce even English words. Um. So yeah, I'm sorry. If you don't know us <laughs> by now. <laughs> All right, Anyways, everybody. All we love you. We'll see you. Good. Well, we'll see you next week. Until then, be safe and please be kind to one another. Don't go off on a rampage and kill people. Yes. Okay? Well, we love you. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.